Hi, I'm Kevin Kittle, and this is The Cinema Files. The first exposure I had to the upcoming film, Twelve Strong, was a cardboard standee I walked past at our local theater. The image featured Chris Hemsworth in desert warfare attire, one-handedly wielding an M16 while riding a horse. Now, if that's not an attention-grabbing visual, I'm not sure what is. But what makes this even more fascinating is 12 Strong is based on the true story of a 12-man team sent to Afghanistan mere weeks after 9-11. I, along with a few of my colleagues, were given the chance to sit down and talk about the upcoming 12 Strong movie. But we didn't sit down with the director or any of the actors in the film. Instead, we spoke with the two real-life ex-special forces whom the lead characters are based on, Bob Pennington and Mark Noosh. It's always a special treat when we could talk to the individuals at the source of a true story, especially when they are as inspiring and fascinating as these two are. Be sure to visit The Cinema Files for our review on 12 Strong when it hits theaters on January 19th. Okay, um, first off, guys, it's, it's a hell of a story. It's incredible. Um, Thanks. Uh, man, I just really respect you know, what you guys have done going over there and volunteering for it as well. This, this film is based on a book called The Horse Soldiers by Doug Stanton. Were you guys involved in the, the writing of the book or fact-checking or the film? The Some of it. Now, I, I talked to Doug uh, a little, little more than Mark was able to. At least five or six hours probably talking to Doug. Uh, I think Mark was a little bit more limited to that because he was busy at the time. Doug had limited access to our team. Uh, as we had, you know, I and some others had moved on to other assignments. After those initial interviews, we were not involved in Doug's book for years. We've talked more with Doug since the book was published than we did prior. Yeah. He provides a a snapshot of a portion of our mission, but there is so much more to our mission. Understand his his picture was more strategic. And as you break down how we look at things, Strategic, operational, and then tactical. We are tactical on the ground. Operational runs in between, and the strategic is a whole gambit. When he wrote the story, as you can see, it's strategic. So he's just he's just hitting us. And then for, he portrays other other teams that, right. that followed in after oh, ours, and yeah. you know it's a complex story, and, and it becomes hard to capture that in a clear, concise manner. Uh, you know, Doug. Doug did a did a fair job at that. Fair job. Uh, trying to trying to show the highlights of what these other other teams did as well. Uh, all of us working towards Mazar Sharif and those northern provinces. Uh, there were other special forces teams in other parts of the country uh, that did amazing things. Also, that uh, some of had books written about them and some. Uh, have not, uh, but yet did amazing things that are known within our own community. So. Now there was a book about us, uh, the hunt for Ben Laden. We were also our story was also in that one, and that was uh, tried to hit it, but it was a little bit more far fetched. Um, the Robin Moore's book came out, and uh, we sat down with Robin Moore. We we had a lot of respect for him because, of course, he wrote the Green Berets and. Uh, mm-hmm. Some other, I guess, the Happy Hooker as well, and uh, but he sat there and he was an older gentleman at the time, 70, 79 years old. So his assistant took over on those writing abilities, and that was nowhere near the, the true story. 
at all? It was too traumatized or just one? No, the project, without getting into all that, the project got hijacked. You know, somebody else took the book in a totally different direction and tried to interweave themselves in in the story of our team and mission, and they were absolutely no part of our team or mission. Uh, There's been a number of, but back to your question, there's been a number of of books out there, uh, another one called The Last Warlord uh, that we interviewed for, uh, you know, portrays the Afghan side of our mission and what it was like to have uh, a special forces team come in there. And that's that focuses more on General Dostum, uh, the main Afghan counterpart mm-hmm. that we worked with. But uh, uh, who knew that uh, Doug's book was going to, uh, Horse Soldiers were going to turn into uh, a feature film. Uh, it's incredible. It's honored honoring it's humbling uh that it has uh we knew it was years in production that it had been bought you know as i understand mm-hmm. it takes a while to develop uh, uh these things and uh finally finally come out yeah and we had we had talked several times during this period when we knew that it had purchased by jerry of you know who's playing who or who do you want to play you or <laughs> so of course, he always wanted Thor, but uh, I, I wanted Ryan Reynolds since I'm a, a little bit of a clown. But you know, but Michael Shannon did pretty good, pretty good. I, I talked to him for two or three days, and uh, he was a pretty thoughtful guy, honestly. So oh, that's terrific. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, what struck me about the picture is that everyone, all, all the twelve men, were singly focused. They were looking. They were looking forward to this. They uh, yeah. they wanted to be part of the tip of the spear. Yes, True. right. Absolutely. Um, is that always the mentality for special forces or green berets, or was there something extra because of this particular circumstance? No, this is this is the World Series. This is the uh, the Super Bowl. This is the the pinnacle of what all green berets dream about. This is you are going into a country. And you are conducting the one principal task of the nine principal tasks we have, unconventional warfare. And you are going to conduct this, which all Green Rays train for and are ready to do. So it's not just us. They're all sitting there, yeah. hands on the rail, ready to go. Not, not just the historic. Yes, there was the historic fact that was not lost. And this is 9-11, yeah. you know, right after. Uh, but Day to day, there are special forces teams competing uh, internally to get the best missions, to get the best training, to get the tough missions and deploy, you know, to probably 80 plus countries around the world right Absolutely. now today, uh, working with local partners, uh, trying to uh, tackle immense uh, challenges uh, with security or extremism or, you know, help advise towards economic development and other things. Uh, that all are the root causes of these these tremendous challenges. Uh, that's why you had people asked a few months ago, why are why are special forces in Niger? Well, that's where our enemy has evolved. Al Qaeda splinters uh, have evolved, and they're operating in these uh, areas, uh, gray areas, on the edge of the the world, the, the civilized world, and that's where they're allowed to uh, multiply and grow and and plan and and build up. And someone has to go out there. Uh, to that far edges and and that best people to do that are our special forces and our special operations uh, servicemen and women. Yeah, and I, I, I just retired 
only about a year. A year ago, yeah. Yeah, a year and a half ago. That's right. So I did over 30 years. And, you know, these last these last 10 years have been so busy and so hard on the force itself. But you, you, don't, you don't hear the guys going, I'm not going to do that mission. It's, what's the mission coming up? I want that. Can I get it? How do I need to get it? How can I fight for it? What it you know, that's how it is. That's how all Green Berets think. Yet we get tired. We do get run down, and it is happening more so. The force has to build back up so we can continue to fight throughout this the world, and that's what it is. It's a fight throughout the world. You guys know that. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Our, our our team's attitude though very much was send me. We are the team to go. Yeah. We had been picked. Uh, by 15 September, we knew we were going. Mm-hmm. We we had been picked. Uh, so then it was just fine-tuning some things, waiting for transportation, waiting to understand what... We didn't even know what that mission was, but we had right. been picked. Whatever that mission was, we were going to get it. Uh, and uh, we deployed out early on uh, to a then-secret location. Uh, I assure you, it was not as built up as what they portrayed. <laughs> no. uh, we, we, as a matter of fact, our pallet came in, we pushed all our stuff off in a big open area, dirt, near near the, uh, uh, the off the side of the mound, well, one of the mounds. Uh, one of the mounds were all the... So it's a former Soviet base. So, yeah, Soviet, Soviet air base. Right. So we're sleeping next to uh, a big, hangers, you know, a Soviet MiG bunker, wow. you know, guarded yeah. by former, you know, Uzbek Special Forces troops that we had worked with the year prior. Right. You know, uh, and we're sleeping on the ground. Yeah. So, it, you know. Uh, so the next morning we get up and we start making tents, our tents. So right. to start uh, working out, because at that time we had been given a mission of personal recovery. So what they wanted, they, they wanted a, a, a team that could go in deep if one of the aircraft got hit by an aircraft fire and they went down. They wanted someone to be able to go in there with a lot of firepower and get that team out who could move quick, be dropped off at one uh, point and move to another point. And we had been doing these exercises as a team, and we were very good at it. But that mission actually went to the Air Force, and now... It didn't develop in the way that everybody thought it might. Um, And uh, then right away we got, you know, we had a few days without that. We're waiting for a mission. And uh, then we got asked to, to do this mission, and we had 48 hours from the time we accepted the mission to be ready to insert. Uh, there was our entire operations order consisted of two pages. Wow. Because it was so early, there's nothing known. We have to send someone in to figure it out. And we said, Let, we got it, send us, sir. And, uh, you know, we uh, briefed back to Colonel Maholan and, yeah. and he approved our plan and uh, uh, sent us in. But, it, but it's funny because you see uh, comical reactions to some of the guys in the, in the film. And of course, we get two, three pages of here. Uh, this is all we got to go do this. And we're looking at it and go, <laughs> all right, man. Yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> what do you think, Mark? Because <laughs> there's not, I mean, any, you guys are smart guys. Think of any question you'd want to know. There is no answer. Yeah. No one in this room yeah. can provide that answer. No one outside that room has the connection to provide that answer. So we have to send 
uh, people, and the CIA team got matched up with us. They could help answer some more questions, but then their sheet of unknowns is just as long as ours. Mm -hmm. So here we go, guys. Let's let's get in there, and we'll figure it out. We RFI'd those guys to death. Request Request for information. That's what I was going to follow up with. Request for information. I mean, it was one after another, one after another. What helped us before going in, though, and and even collecting that information, we had read about Afghanistan, the early days. We had read about Masood and what he had done, what what his characteristics were about, what, what direction he wanted to go, who could follow him. What were those tribes out there? Those those are the things we thought that we could, if we could know some of that, we'd have a head start. Yeah. And we, that actually helped we, us too. We didn't fully understand the dynamics, the history, the who's who, you know, the deep relationships back and forth between these key regional leaders. Uh, you know, we were, there wasn't an existing American military plan on the shelf for any kind of contingencies there. So, our maps, literally, initially, gentlemen, were tourist maps that could be bought. We were grabbing oh, up National absolutely. Geographic absolutely. magazines, spreading them out, and the guys would find stuff, research stuff, lay it out, and every guy was expected to go through and learn how to, you know, to read that stuff. I like the little scene. It's a little thing. But yeah. there was a guy, there's a scene of after the insertion, one of the sergeants, the, I think it's the team sergeant, is reading a book called The Bear Went Over the Mountain. Yeah. And that was one of the historical art military archives that the U.S. Uh, military had put out about the Soviet-Afghan experience in the 80s. And it tried to debrief. Some, that author had a unique opportunity to debrief actual Russian officers about their experience in Afghanistan. So that was like the, here you go, read this book. That's, that's all we really know. And so guys were trying to frantically read all. They depict that in the film. If you catch it, you see it. It's perfect. He's 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 trying because you were trying to read up on every bit of things you could get on I, your own. I've got the disc breakdown of it, but it was uh, and we put it down as a must read. In the later years, like I said, when I was at Bragg and was one of the the, the instructors, and then I became command chief warrant out at Camp McCall, where that we actually make green berets. That is a must read book. So. Um, I love the movie. Um, both of the way that you were portrayed um, on, on the screen, you, your characters were very determined and very resolute in the mission in front of you. Um, your men, um, your reactions uh, after 9-11. Um, but you both had, both characters seemed to take different directions in how they achieved uh, your, your determination and your resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that resolution is knowing who to trust in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that level of trust is uh, something that is not only inherent in what you guys do on a daily basis, but it's something that's built and it's not, not natural. Um, did your individual trusts in each other mature as well as it did in the movie, or did it take time? No, because here's the thing. He'd already been on the team for two years, and then they had pulled him off of the team, and then 9-11 happened. I actually, I wanted him back because I had just come to the team, but you're looking at a, a special forces warrant. He can't become a warrant officer. He can't go through that course unless he's an NCO or a senior NCO first. And so I had 14 years of experience, and most of that is a Green Beret. So... 
when we saw what happened and they said, hey, you guys might be aligned to do this mission. I said, well, the first thing I need is I need to plus up my team back to 12. Okay, uh, we'll give you a captain. I said, no, I need Mark Nuge back. I just, I just lost him. I didn't break any deaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that actually would piss me off. I'd be really, I mean, so, but I said, I got to have him back. I said, he knows the team, he knows the SOPs. Why would I spend somebody back up? Uh, standard operating procedures. So I've got, I would rather have him back here on this operational detachment. And they looked at me and went, that makes sense. At first it was kind of a, that was kind of a, it was a little bit of a friction there, but they thought that one out. Yeah, I'd been with the team for two years already and we had deployed uh, half a dozen times to uh, the Middle East, to Jordan and, and Kuwait and uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, wow. uh, you know, and... and had about as much experience as a special forces officer could have in preparing for this mission. I had served in the Ranger Regiment uh, as a Ranger platoon leader prior to that, uh, and had been, you know, an infantry officer uh, before going to the Rangers. So, uh, and and I came to the team in '99. So Mark and I actually we did we did one, two, two overseas long tours. And we did several yeah. CONUS tours in the uh, U U.S. So we, there was a lot of training we'd already conducted. Our, more to your point, I think, uh, is the team already trusted each other because we had been through some pretty grueling training already okay. where we had split down. We had had our previous deployments. We had split down into two or three man cells. Uh, we were comfortable if we went as a solo operator We'd been cross-trained on all the radios, the medical trauma, things like that, calling in close air support, uh, and felt thoroughly trained. The, uh, but once on the ground, then I think that trust in each other went further because it mm -hmm. became, hey, Sergeant, what did you do today mm -hmm. to help improve our situation? Hey, sir, I'm on it. That's the great thing about these special forces sergeants. They'll see a problem, they'll go out, they'll fix that problem, probably solve something else fix that, come back and make you, hey, I did ABC and we need to be doing this, you know. And, so. and, and some of that was depicted, but not all. And that's the thing. Mark and I would actually converse about everything yeah. unless we were apart and we couldn't. But even then he'd radio me. Yeah. Hey, hey, this is what I'm looking at. What do you think? And hey, that makes sense to me. But Let's do that. The, the, our, our team had uh, an incredible amount of experience. Our average years of service was eight. Wow. Bob already oh, told wow. you he had 14. I mean, yeah. We were not a young team. We yeah. had Our average age was 32. Mm -hmm. uh, you 11 know, of the 12 families, our uh, team members were married. Yeah, wow. 10, of, 10, yeah. 10 of us had kids. two or more kids. Yep. Uh, you know, just incredible amount of experience. We had nine qualified snipers. Yep, I was one or two, yeah. But the, uh, there was some adjustments on the ground because we had to adapt to these horses, the situation. We learned quickly. We can't, we don't need to carry all this gear that we are because it's going to result in back injuries right. or, or things like that that are going to hurt. So I learned how to tailor my gear. Uh, I'm using muscles even as a physically fit Green Beret. Uh, I am using muscles riding a horse mm -hmm. that that uh, makes it a little painful. See, uh, and, I, and I can attest to this, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And this is this is a good story because the scene where 
I'm helped now. Now I made it a little better than that. Now, you know, <laughs> I had to save face, so I had to kind of just Steve, look, I'm gonna slide down there, make sure you just hold me up and stuff like that. So you're talking, you're talking about a guy who bench pressed at that time 360, and uh, leg squatted about 450. But what he said is, now I'm squeezing my knees and I'm pulling in my feet. The stirrups are high. They had, they had short legs. So the next thing I know, it, I blow out my back. Right. So it's different muscle groups. Yeah. So the uh, we we had to continue to trust each other as we split down into these different teams. Uh, every guy on the team is is providing input and it plays a critical role in what has to happen that day uh, for our own safety to help us survive the next five minutes, the next hour, live through the day, and we can win from what we're seeing. We sat down and debriefed each night. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? Here's what almost killed us today. Here's what almost really hurt our Afghan force that we're trying to build up. And we need the following more supplies. We need this, we need more, more aircraft overhead uh, in these different locations and, and trying to then capture that. And f not just for our own knowledge to share amongst the team, but that, you know, higher level decision makers need to know this like yesterday. And so all of their RFIs that we talked about, <laughs> They're coming to, They're coming coming to, to us, us. Yeah. You know, which is amazing. And this, some of them know? are coming back and we're going, what the fuck? I just, <laughs> no, I set this up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, 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 so we're way left in that information cycle and that need for information. I mean, and we were it along with a handful of other teams that were on the ground in the country. You know, that was it. Uh, and so you're, you're having strategic level talks with, with our Afghans about the larger Taliban and Al Qaeda structure and organization and where they're at. Uh, but then you're like, Hey, we got this village over here. We need to attack that village and defeat that Taliban force and move on across the valley to get to Mazar Sharif. So it, it, every, every man on that ODA acted as an ambassador. They, they actually did right. the entire time. So we, we call it, uh, uh, everybody had to work from a commander's intent. You couldn't, no one in the rear, defined as 100 miles away in K2 or 5,000 miles away in Washington or Fort Bragg or in Tampa. No one can figure this out. It has to be the guys on the ground using their problem-solving skills, using their understanding of the situation, uh, and they're working from a commander's intent. What I'm talking about is we know our mission. Our mission is to conduct unconventional warfare in an area that is geographically undefined. Mm -hmm. Initially, I can go anywhere in the country with my counterpart yeah. What's his plan? Yeah, What's no, his there's capabilities? No there's no front We line. really would like you to seize an airfield up here. We like this one around the <laughs> We really would like you to help us secure the roads north to Uzbekistan, which is 180 miles yeah, away. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and so it, it's, it's. They all kept popping out as soon as. because. It, but we were thinking of it way ahead of them, yeah. honestly. It was like, you know, if we hit this, then we can take the Termez Bridge. We can open up that supply line. Man, everything will open up and just flood this place. We had so real we smart sergeants yeah. helping feed that cycle of here is a so possible you, that's plan. That's a long answer for you, <laughs> but, no, it's no, it's, but it's good. It's, it's, it's perfectly fine. You're, you're, it sounds like your experience in all of your other missions really prepared you for absolutely the, the on the ground situation. Yeah. Absolutely, the, yeah. those I, missions that we had when we went to uh, Have Ace, which was conducted in Herbert uh, near Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, that. Uh, that was two weeks of uh, close air support. 
So we use the, the, the MC-130s, our AC-130s. Uh, we use uh, the Spectre gunships, like I said. Um, we use the 53s. Everything coming in. Yeah. So yeah, we were we just on we the pinnacle everything. of that in August, had hit those main things. And, uh, you know, other things, like, like the guys growing up, uh, some of them had done some mechanic work. Yeah. Later, we ended up with two <laughs> John, Deere, uh, John Deere utility vehicles, and they flooded out. Uh, by fording them across the river. Hmm. And our sergeants, using some, some little Gerber tools, took that engine apart, got it to dry out, put it back together, and got that vehicle to start again. So that's these Special Forces guys typically come from a different background. I grew up on a cattle ranch in Kansas, rodeoing through high school and college. Who knew how critical the ability to ride and understand uh, uh, the horsemanship and the uh, maneuver warfare uh, on horseback. So I was, I'd been an amateur history buff from, from my training through the military of reading about the American Civil War. You know, we had walked the battlefields at Gettysburg. I had studied the cavalry commanders from that day for some of my military development assignments and had written red books, written papers. Who knew that that was going to be so critical in this 9-11? But I'm learning this as I see this yeah. immediately. I'm like, okay, What's one of the things that stumped us early on is Dostum wanted to attack at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. All right, we've got all the latest and greatest night vision. We fight at night. We, we do all this. We thing. own the night. You know. All that. right, we should attack at dawn, right? Why 2 p.m. in the afternoon? We have an essentially an 18th or 19th century force. We have that we are greatly outnumbered, outgunned. And we have to preserve that force. That force is either on horseback or walking. Mm -hmm. And it takes us that long to then remain in hiding and then cover that distance to get close undetected to the enemy and then start the music with an airstrike or whatever we're going to do to open up that attack on our terms. And we're outnumbered. So if we win, then through that initial engagement, it's going to be nightfall, which causes confusion for our, our enemy as well. We can withdraw the force and preserve it or continue to exploit uh, our gains. So it, but it took some adapting of that uh, horse-mounted warfare, realizing I now have satellite-capable radios that allows my sergeants to disperse across the whole battlefield and decentralize execution and talk to each other and figure things out in those areas, use GPS and laser rangefinders to accurately and precisely target the enemy. Uh, and we didn't necessarily learn how to ride from him. I mean, basically, really, you get on a horse. If you've ridden it a couple of times, you get on a horse, you, you somewhat can yeah, make it out. Yeah, I mean, you can't. But the biggest thing that uh, uh, he helped us on was their stirrups were small because they had the short legs. Mm -hmm. So we ended up, uh, Mark showed us how to actually cut those down, you know, retie them, make them and lengthen them. Uh, do some of the bridle work that because that did not work and most of those were tearing the underbelly straps they were tearing so we were using one inch tubular nylon that would come off the drops you would cut that off you know and sit there and so we were tying these things we're down tack on these saddles <laughs> their saddles are worn out now we're borrowing an Afghan horse and you got a 230 pound green beret with another 50 pounds of lightweight gear stepping up the stirrup straps would break at the most inopportune time the cinch straps would break or tear. And so we're using nylon 
webbing from our parachute drops to repair the saddles and make stirrups that are length lengthened out so we're not injuring our guys. We've yeah. requested uh, uh, trail riding saddles to be airdropped in right away, and so somebody's scrambling to purchase saddles in the United States and Which, get them delivered. That over. was a joke. I mean, <laughs> that was we put that. You know how many times I then I started like capitalizing everything which is yelling you know <laughs> send the saddles now <laughs> you know where's my saddles and of course we get out and guess what we get to k2 hey we got some saddles for you are you kidding me we're all we're done that was crazy all of you guys good questions thank you very much. absolutely